0: Hi again, friends, Ed Harold here, super excited to spend the next few minutes of our lives
1: together. We have a great guest with us this week and buckle up because it's going to be a great hour. So welcome to our Life with Breath podcast series. Welcome back friends. So good to be with you on this beautiful fall we're having in 2021 on planet earth today, we have the amazing Kara Bradley with us. And she's just a wealth of wisdom, knowledge, compassion, experience, and she's just a master teacher of many different things. And I'm really honored to spend uh, a little bit of time having a conversation with this great soul. To begin with, let's get ourselves grounded. Let's really drop into our body. So if we could just take a few minutes and turn off the external world as much as we can and and tune our awareness to this breath of ours, this opportunity, this energetic charge of our awareness and just drop into our body. So if you'd like, just let your eyes close Drop any old stressors off the trunk of the neck or the shoulders, let it roll down your back. Allow your feet to feel the support of Mother Earth, this great planet that we've all been gifted to be on during these transformational times. And just press your feet down like you're gonna stand up. And as soon as you do that, notice the spine becomes straight, the central nervous system turns on, the heart cracks open, and we're completely present. Now, bringing your awareness to softening the face, allowing the forebrain area
0: to be completely relaxed. And notice your eyes inside the sockets. If you just move your eyes
1: slightly, gently inside your sockets, notice you can tune into a lighter version of ourselves, something different than the normal narrative.
0: This simple eye movement. Shifting your awareness to your low jaw, separating the teeth a fraction of an inch, allowing the tongue to rest on the upper palate, keeping the nasal channels open. Shifting your awareness down into your voice box, the larynx, the pharynx, the vocal cords,
1: and let's go to yoga and let's bring up the ocean-sounding breath, this ujjayi breath. Begin to pull ourselves present. Begin to slow the breath
0: down and allow the breath to nurture the inner world from the soles of our feet to the crown of our head. Being grateful for the opportunity just to be us today.
1: And as you begin to slow the breath down, notice your neurochemistry
0: will shift. Hormonal secretions will shift. Blood pressure will reboot and will become more energy efficient. If you're exhaling longer than your inhale, you're toning down the amygdala. Your body is burning fat as its primary fuel source. We're saving our precious glycogen and sugars for the brain and we're becoming energy efficient.
1: Now, how comfortable can you get inside your uniform, inside your body?
0: How comfortable can you get with that roommate In between your ears. And as you go deeper, you begin to notice everything is okay. Everything is okay. Press your right foot down into the earth, a little stronger than your left. Focus your
1: awareness on your left prefrontal cortex and feel the connection between the lower right side of the body and the upper left side of the brain. Stabilize that area and inhale, hold the breath in for two. Exhale, hold the breath out for two and focus your mind on the various platforms
0: that we host in our left prefrontal lobe while the right foot is pressing below the floor. Stabilizing the analytical mind. Let time begin to dilate as you perceive it. Know that you're closer to every goal
1: than you can possibly even imagine. And then relax the right foot in the left brain. Shift your awareness over to that beautiful left leg of yours and press that left foot down. Anchor that left foot down into the earth. Shift your mental awareness into the right prefrontal lobe. Now, you might notice immediately the sensations, the visualizations are different there. That's okay. And then go back to that same breathing exercise of inhale, hold for two. Exhale, hold for two. Lower left is pressing down.
0: Mental mind exploring the right prefrontal lobe. Try this for a minute. Ah, and then relax and bring yourself back. Turn your palms up. Notice if anything feels different. And let's tune your awareness to your heart. The real reason why we're all coming together
1: today. Notice the communication in your heart. The voice in your heart it might be a little different than the one we pick up between our ears and that's okay and on the next inhale really fill your lungs imagine just this ancient old life jacket these two huge buoys these lungs floating our awareness through space and just exhale out through the mouth with a sigh break the sound barrier oh yeah and let your eyes open when you're ready and welcome cara bradley
2: thank you ed i noticed that i had to take have to take off my sweater after that
1: yeah there's a lot lot of energy
2: fabulous to see you
1: you also so for folks that might be living under a rock, might not be aware of Kara Bradley, but she is a leading authority of mental fitness, having led thousands through her signature strategies of work and play flow. Drawing on 30-plus years of experience in body-brain training with Fortune 500 companies, startups, and premier college sports teams, her work includes science-based back tools, including the nervous system, flow states, mindfulness training, in addition to strategies to optimize the gut-brain connection. You know, is the author of On The Verge, wake up, show up, and shine. And you can see on your screen, there's the book on the upper right side. Make sure you get out there and get that book because that book is gonna change your life. Mm-hmm. And On The Verge is a call to break free from your busy mind and wake up to right now, fully engaged, ready to shine, discover how to shift beyond crazy busy into a high-definition high-voltage living I love that (laughs) welcome Kara thank you thank you so good to be here what's going on in your world these days beautiful
2: oh wow high-definition that's it Ed and I know that you and Wendy get that living in high definition in with high voltage energy. It sounds so cliche and my daughters who are in their mid twenties will roll their eyes, but that's it. You know, when our, when, when our, when our bodies and our minds are in sync and our systems are working in synergy, we, we experience everything more vividly. You know, with yeah. this with this energy, that's just woo. So that's that's what's happening.
1: Now, I met you several years ago when you were leading uh, yoga sessions, and you had the Verge Yoga Studio outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I remember every time I drove past that place, there was a line all the way down the Delaware and you had about 100 classes a week, and it was high, talk about high energy. Yeah. Uh, how did you get involved? Well, first of all, your personal experience, like how did you stagger into the yoga thing like like we all did at some point? And then what? where did that entrepreneur thing come in where you just blew it out like huge?
2: Mm, well, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, those were the days. I mean, things have changed a little bit because of uh, the, the last 18 months. but. Um, where I started my, my introspection and my search, if you will, was on the ice. So I was a figure skater. I wasn't a good figure skater. You never heard of me out there, but I skated a lot and I loved it. And we used to do something on the ice back then called figures, which, uh, a young skater would be given a patch of ice and we had a scribe, which was like this really big compass. And we would scribe a figure eight on the ice. And then for an hour, we would have to trace that figure eight on an outer edge and inner edge, going forward, going backward. And they've done away with figures in the sport because I think there was just so much protest because the kit, everybody hated figures. Mm-hmm. I loved figures. I loved it as a 12 as year old to be on the ice. What I what I learned back then, of course, I didn't have the words to it, was that when my mind, when I was thinking about something else, right, when I was thinking about school or whatever, a boy, I would go flat on my edge or my blade. And so I learned back then there was definitely something about thoughts and body that, um, you know, that there was a connection there. And mm-hmm. so, you know, throughout my life as an athlete, I, have always just tapped back into that, but I didn't have words to it. I didn't have disciplines. I didn't know. And uh, I remember walking to a, into a library when I was in my early twenties and looking up, you know, mental strength or mental training. And I found books on yoga and meditation. And that's honestly how I stepped into it all.
1: That's amazing. And, you know, I, if I visualize the the figure, the figures, the figure eights, the, that on its own, just moving your body in that particular rhythm, wouldn't that create a light flow state? Oh, totally. Yeah, you could get off on that.
2: Totally. And so what happened was I, I ran track in college. Again, I was not very good. I was kind of middle of the pack, 800. And um, I had a full out high flow state in my last race. And I, and I write about it in the first, the intro of the book. And what I realized after that, cause I blew seconds off my 800 and I was like, holy crap. Like I had this in me the whole, my whole career. And I tapped into it my last race. But what I realized was that, that feeling, that body state, body mind state was really, really familiar and it traced back to my time on the ice. So I was like, wait a second, I've been here before. And you know, the thing is kids live in flow. I mean, they're in flow most Mm -hmm. of the time. You know, I don't even, you know, nobody's done any research on it, but I would imagine like nowadays compared to when we were kids, there's less and less or it ends earlier and earlier. But you know, we we experience that childlike, uh, you know, Experience like you were saying before, where time dilates, where, where we're at a body, where our senses are are really um, magnified, you know. So the the flow states are places we've all been, and we we access them differently. We have different triggers and different activities that get us into flow.
1: Yeah. So before we get a little deeper into this, can you tell folks a little bit about? what it was like to run a studio where you had thousands of students coming in and out every week and you're doing yoga teacher trainings cultivating the seeds you're bringing in people from all walks of life that most of them have don't have any idea what why we're even doing it they just heard through word of mouth that you feel great when you leave How was that experience for your soul and your heart
2: oh boy that's a loaded question yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind honestly is stress mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was stressful i mean you probably saw you were at verge during you know some of our prime years where we had three yoga rooms going at the same time we had a meditation school and teacher training and workshops it was busy and i i'm a teacher i mean i can't not teach so i was mm-hmm. still teaching five six classes a week in addition to, you know, managing 30 teachers and hundred classes a week,
0: um, wow. it, was stress-
2: it was stressful, Ed. I mean, it was, there, there there, are a few of us out there that are yoga studio owners um, that are, you know, really kind of uh, pa- paisans, <laughs> I'm Italian. Um, we get each other, we recognize, <laughs> you know, people think it's all, you know, love and bliss, but at the end of the day, and this is the the honest truth, at the end of the day, I always went to bed and put my head on the pillow and knew in my heart that we had changed lives that day, that somebody was going to bed having treated their child better or their partner better, having done the right thing. So, you know, there's a lot of buildup of that karma or merit, as we say, in, in the Buddhist world, right? There's a lot of merit that was built up, even though it was stressful.
1: But you know what i really enjoyed about being in the studio on a role was you know you'd, you'd hear people all the time in their transformational process and you know outside of the yoga world they'd, they'd be going to therapy over here or they had you know a gym membership over here and they'd be doing all sorts of other relational things but when they came to our studios it was like you know in an, in, in an hour or 90 minutes. You could get everything you needed to unload what needed to be unloaded you could pack on what needed to be there you're walking a little taller you're breathing a little lighter you're 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 light-hearted in your thoughts and it all happened in like this hour 90 minute incubator and it was it, to me who's very time i'm very time you know oriented you know i, I never saw a bigger bang for time and a buck than than what we were offering. And that really made me feel great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would say it's the cheapest form of therapy. You come in for an hour, 15 bucks, whatever it costs you, you know. Um, Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting, Ed, is, and I remember one of my first yoga teachers, Beryl Bender Birch, she -hmm. would say that a yoga practice, if taught properly, right, or executed well, was really a breathing practice with some yoga poses thrown in. And right. I never forgot that. And that's, I, you know, I know it's it's where you lead from and it's certainly where I led from. The breath was queen, I would say. The breath is queen and and everything else is just ways to manipulate breath and play with experience. Well,
1: mm-hmm. I love that definition. You know, the breath is queen. Mm-hmm. You know, the queen births new awarenesses. You know, the, the queen energy, that feminine energy you know, it doesn't do well with stupid. It, it really, you know, it, it's not very patient. And it constantly pushes us up against some of those maybe dysfunctional male patterns of energy that we kind of picked up when we were younger because it was such a dominant male culture, society. And when, when we were doing, you know, the yoga, it still was fairly new. I mean, it wasn't, main, I mean, it was still woo-woo. Like there wasn't a science behind it. There wasn't a science behind the breath. The only thing we really knew was that these people with long hair who practice meditation were really kind and they could let stuff slide. And, you know, they could be in a traffic jam and not give you any hand signals. You know, they, they just, we, we knew that the meditation worked. So how could we blend the breath with the postures to improve the quality of meditation? And it's, it, you know, it still is just a great gift even today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What, and there's another element, I think, that is often overlooked and there hasn't been a lot of research done on it yet. But I think it is one of the key variables in our ability to regulate ourselves. And that's rhythm. Mm-hmm. Rhythm is so undervalued. Yet when we have an infant that is crying, we rock the infant mm-hmm. slowly you know so if you think about a well crafted yoga class or or breath practice or you know it there's a rhythm to it and it's that rhythm that is down regulating or up regulating your autonomic nervous system just mm-hmm. like a walk or a run or or rowing or cycling or sweeping or knitting i mean there's rhythm everywhere so i mean i love the breath for that and And so what I would often say and still do is, you know, synchronizing mind and body with breath and rhythm. That's like your golden ticket.
1: Right, right. And, you know, we have to understand that that every day there's going to be points where we are going to go out of rhythm. There's going to be a mental perception that there's resistance to what our desired goal is. And having some tools in your toolbox to be prepared for these non- the mental perception or the physical perception of non-rhythmic moments. What are some of the things that you do to bring yourself back in the rhythm when you begin to notice these nasty older emotions or old subconscious perceptions kind of puke over the present moment?
2: (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. Hey, you know, it's going to happen. And it would be, you know, I don't want to say a boring life, but... You know, if, if there was nothing, I think about the Truman Show, right? If it was always the same, everything happening in the same way all the time, there would be no, you know, zest to life. So it's going to happen. You're going to be pulled off, you know, every minute. I mean, unless you're in deep in practice, there's going to be some distraction or thought or memory or, or physical, some pain or something that's going to pull you out right. of that coherent state. So, you know, you want to have a toolbox of, of regulation tools, right? I call them mini wins. I talk about this a lot, especially in the workplace. All of these things that you can do moment to moment to at least just bring you back. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean bringing you back to this, you know, blissed out state where nothing matters. It just means bringing you back to present moment where where you can make a really an honest decision, you know, a heartfelt mm-hmm. decision and how to move into the next moment. And that's really what The Verge is about. The word Verge is one of my favorite words. So, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to explain it a little bit. If, if Let's go. Yeah. Verge. So so years ago, I, I opened the studio in 2004 and years before my husband had gone and spent like a month in the Amazon with some indigenous communities down there and he came back and he was sitting around we were we've always been you know big self help we started with tony robbins and you know worked our way through and he was talking about how when they would be out on the boats on the canoes they would often stop at these places on the land where the rivers would come together and they would stop and there would be almost like a sacred moment and these, these places where where ecosystems come together are called verges, verge, the verge of uh, the, the uh, edge of, of the land where the rivers meet. And, and, and science shows that wildlife and animal life are at their most diverse there on the verge.
0: And I remember
2: I stopped him. I said, wait a second, explain that again. And then I, I went on to look at the research, and so on the verge at these places where where systems come together and converge, life is is it at its most alive, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy crap! Like, where is the verge in Pennsylvania? <laughs> like, I mm-hmm. want to go there. I want right. to. Can we live there on the verge? What does it mean? To be at a place, you know, where, and I would imagine, you know, you've got ley lines crossing, and it could be sort mm-hmm. of the same thing. But, but what it came back to, and this was way before I wrote the book on the verge. But when I when I named this yoga studio Verge Yoga, it was truly because I wanted to create a space for people to come to feel fully alive, to mm-hmm. realize potential, to awaken to some dormant capacity within them. And so, um, so yeah. So I have a real love for that word.
1: Well, I never thought of it that way, and that's pretty deep. But it's practical in the way that you can absorb it, which I think is so important when we're communicating, you know, with with others. I think that having the ability, you know, to be functional with our communication so that everybody gets it, you know, the verge is. Just something that I'm going to just watch in my meditation for a while now because I think there's a lot there and both in the sense that there's we all have a resistance sometimes of what might happen uh, even though we're desperately trying for our goal and there's all sorts of energy being scattered and, and the mind you know we're, we're out of our body but when we can get into that verge of nature and let nature support us and we can get out of the way, all of a sudden we're swept right into that next flow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying is, um, and you don't even have to be in a place, um, because actually the verge is happening in each moment. When we are present, we are, we are our most powerful period, hands down, end of story. When we are fully grounded, Right here, not worrying about the next word coming out of your mouth, not thinking about what you just said and how it landed if it was awkward, but right here, allowing the life force to move through you and speak through you. That is where we are most powerful. So we can be on the verge moment to moment. There's always another opportunity to be in that place where, phew, you know, life comes through you. I remember earlier um, on in my career, my in my journey, reading The Power of Now is a big book in my life mm-hmm. early on. And I remember Eckhart Tolle saying that um, words spoken in presence have transformative power. And as a teacher, I mean, I would remind myself of that every single yoga class before I rang that bell. Words right. spoken in the present moment have transformative power. I don't need to script anything i just need to be present because i know and trust and over the years i've learned to trust that what comes out will be precisely what's needed to be said in that moment
1: yeah yeah that is just well said that is so beautiful you know i I was just thinking as you were speaking i was thinking about when i was a kid i used to go up to new york city and go to the opera and my family had an opera background and these folks would be in the present moment they had these huge thoracic diaphragms that kept mm-hmm. them in the gut brain and they could speak these words in in any language like a lot of it was just you know spanish or french or uh, italian i didn't i didn't even know the words but by the time the show was over i was in tears and I had no idea why, but you're having such a deep visceral experience of being present with the presenter, who's completely present, immersed in that role, and it's coming from the gut through the throat. It just makes a lot more sense now.
2: Wow, yes. And I, I'm particularly interested in the voice when it comes to the nervous system and something you mm-hmm. just said really rang true. I've I've done a deep dive into polyvagal theory and mm. portras's work and Beautiful. had actually had the opportunity to interview him once and we talked about the voice because um and this is something that may be kind of off script but there is no script mm-hmm. is that you know we read each other like animals i mean we are mm. we're able to read through nonverbal communication But we're Mm -hmm. also able to read each other through the tone of our voice Mm
3: -hmm. and if
2: i am nervous which i'm not right now very Mm -hmm. comfortable with you and this is my natural speaking voice but if i was you know if i was nervous or a new teacher because i would work with yoga teachers like this a lot you could tell in their voice because Mm -hmm. their nervous system is in a slightly stressed state so the Mm -hmm. nervous system changes the vocal tone and we're able to read each other like that all the time, you all know, right. on the phone, in in stores, in in a in a meeting. So I think that you know we we need you know one of my favorite quotes is from Emerson: um, "Who you are speaks so loudly I can't mm-hmm. hear what you're saying."
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: so I could be talking to you in another language. And, you know, you but yet you are still resonating because of the depth of my voice and, and the, the presence that's being mm-hmm. moved through it. Meanwhile, you know, we could be at a job interview and I could have this little squeaky high, little tinny voice and and you as the interviewee could say, whoa, she's like really insecure. I don't think she's right for this job, even if she, even if I had all the right answers.
1: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm yeah i think the throat when i started studying the yoga philosophies and the ancient texts and all you know in the west i never thought there was anything in the throat other than in the neck area it was just something to carry you know allow the head to be hooked onto the body and uh you know as we began to look in some of the eastern arts and oriental medicine there is so much that makes up the throat area not just uh, from the physiological standpoint, but also our psychological makeup of ourselves and how we allow the world to see us. And all this is taking place at light speed around the vibration between our heart and our brain. And you start to think about how the breath interacts with those two um, amazing organs and like the throat. Like, who would have thought, like, the throat, the thyroid. Play such a huge role to our energy levels, our ability to be present and be self-regulating while at the same time really being in a good flowing internal narrative with our voice. Mm. you know there's a there's also a great set of ears in the vocal cords because we're always judging our speech. you know did I say the right thing? Was that cool? I shouldn't have said that and And over a period of time you begin to see how the energy gets stuck in the throat and You know, throat issues, you know, they begin to either resonate down lower. You'll find like arthritis or or, or, or leaky gut or uh, weak digestion or low energy, you know, stuff like that. Or you could see it up in the brain where there's always this seems to be this imaginary marker that we have to jump over to be in a good space all the time. Mm. Yeah, the throat's amazing.
2: Yeah. And one of the simplest little tools that we can use to to tone the vagal nerve, the mm-hmm. vagus nerve, is just to hum,
3: yeah. humming
2: or ohm, right? Chanting yeah. has incredible impact on our vagus nerve, which which goes the wandering nerve all throughout the body down deep into the gut, the gut microbiome. So it's all interconnected. It's so fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, back in the day before whatever this thing is going on, when you used to travel to companies and, and present workshops, you know, yeah. it was always I was always mindful of, you know, the sound of ohm, but I didn't want to bring that into the corporate setting because that might not be appropriate. So I could still get the same vibration by simply using A, E, I, O, or U and just kind of get it into the Western model because I'm still getting that tone, I'm still getting that vibration. And you'd get folks toning around the corporate table. Mm-hmm. And like the first couple of times, it'd be a little bumpy. But then all of a sudden, it was like a metronome. Everybody was going in it together and they, you know, they had this amazing thing where everybody would come together. All the drama would fall away. The personal separation stories, there'd be no drama. And then somebody would go, you know, I can't do this at my workstation. I said, but you can chant those sounds silently and you're going to get the same effect and no one's even going to know you're doing it. And it was like all these light bulbs went off. The Christmas lights went up and it was just like, (laughs) you know, it was just like the toning. Sometimes the simplest things bring us the greatest results.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, here's the thing, Ed, and I know because of the work that you've done, I've thought about this often. Um, You know, the simplest things are the ones that are often the most effective, and the simplest things are often the ones that are free. And because of the culture that we live in, that things need to be packaged and sold very skillfully the things that are free and effective are just stepped over you know mm. we step we we start to believe that yeah. you know the gadget is more important than than what is free and right in front of our nose uh, but I think the tides are turning I really do feel like you know covid has, has shifted people, you know, just the the mere fact that we couldn't do the things that we used to do and started to rely so much more on the natural things and the simple free tools. I think that, um, you know, the psyche is changing a little bit, which is great.
1: Yeah, I I really like simple things. I I love simplicity. I know that myself, when I'm when I'm feeling stressed or my energy's low or I'm just having one of these days absent in my heart, there's a part of my brain, for it to make me feel good about myself, I need to take something simple and I need to complicate it. And the more complicated I can make it, then my ego will tell me, uh, you know, you're okay now. And you know, I see that out in clients too, where you know they're exhausted, they're not sleeping at night, they're putting things in their body they shouldn't. And, you know, they, they, they tell themselves subconsciously that everything needs to be complicated. You need to be Albert Einstein every day and, you know, E equals MC squared for you to have any type of a value. And we, we're forgetting as much as this is super complicated and we're never going to understand it, the fundamental stuff still applies that we were taught as a kid. You know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, early to bed, or early to rise. You know, all these simple little things that our grandparents taught us. Are fundamental to getting it together in 2021.
2: Absolutely, I was raised. I'm Italian. My four grandparents were from Italy, and so I was raised very, very Italian. I didn't even realize it, but you know, it was truly everything in moderation. It was, mm-hmm. um, and and I was brought up very close to you know what is in season. Eat what is in season. Mm-hmm and all of that and so i have you know i'm very grateful for that that i was able to use that stand on the shoulders of my nonnas and my non my nonne and my noni and uh and move forward to share just practical practices with the world and you know i think down deep in my heart when I think about why I do what I do you know sometimes you wake up you're like what am I doing how did mm-hmm. I complicate my my life so much it really always comes back to um, if I can do if I could share you know whatever whatever I have mm-hmm. to help somebody trust themselves trust their intelligence mm-hmm. trust their um, their their body's intelligence to find balance to heal itself, just trust, trust, trust in yourself that you have absolutely everything you need, then, you know, my work here will be done if I can just help a couple of people do that.
1: We don't hear a lot of the word trust anymore, do we? (laughs)
3: And,
1: And look at the predicament that we're in. There's no eye contact. Everybody's got their head down, looking at their phone. They're walking at the speed of light, you know, going through traffic. You can just... Go through a driving experience somewhere in America, you know, in the morning, early morning or late afternoon, and and you can begin to see that we're going through something that could be called, we're not trusting our life. Mm -hmm. We're not trusting. We're not trusting where we are. And how can we use mindfulness training and, you know, stuff around flow and things like that to get us just back into the opening layers that everything might be okay?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful that we're at some pinnacle, you know, especially with the mental health crisis, that people are waking up to um, that, you, that this is there's a better way to live. Basically, you know, there is a better way to live for me, and and it is it is what you know really the premise of of my book is about feeling fully alive. What makes you feel fully alive? What does it feel? to be fully alive. And a lot of people look, you know, will look at me cross-eyed. I don't know. What are you talking about? Well, what, you know, what does it feel like to be Mm -hmm. awake and alive? And so you get people to start becoming familiar with what it feels like, because we haven't been taught actually Mm -hmm. taught to answer these questions. What makes you feel fully alive? I've asked this at so many, you know, like you're talking about corporate events. What makes you feel fully alive hands down? almost 95 percent of the time it's free. It's in by the ocean like me in the mountains like you. Mm-hmm. it's you know in the woods, it's with my dog, it's cooking, it's reading it's you know it's stuff that we do all the time. We don't need to have all the stuff we think we need you know that's been kind of programmed. What we need you know to feel fully alive is at our fingertips. So I often recommend to people, just like you would a gratitude practice, because gratitude Mm -hmm. practice, I mean, research shows there is a neurochemical Mm -hmm. impact on our body-mind when we really feel grateful, not just like, you know, I'm grateful for my mother, I'm grateful for my car, you know? It's like, no, really feel what you're grateful for. But to also, in addition to that, at the end of the day, just do a little count back and think about Mm -hmm. what made me feel? fully alive today. What did uh-huh. I do? Because it's really important to become familiar with that so that uh-huh. you start to not I hate to use the word schedule, but you start uh-huh. to make those times very important in your day. Playing, getting down on the floor and playing with the kid, you know, the dog, getting into the woods, you know, tending to your garden, whatever it is. And and being on your bike, you know, going for a run, because this, the whole idea about mindfulness, Ed, and I think it's, it's a, something that's very misunderstood out there, um, and which is why I always come back to the body. You know, mind, meditation, meditation in, in Tibetan is the word gom, G-O-M. Mm. And gom translates to becoming familiar with. When I learned this from my teacher, Scott McBride, over at, at, at verge you know he had an yeah. uh, institute there at verge it changed everything for me meditation is about becoming familiar with it's getting to know getting to know your mind getting to know mental patterns getting to know emotional patterns getting to know your emotional tendencies getting to know physical patterns like in mm-hmm. yoga moving mm-hmm. meditation right a yoga practice is getting mm-hmm. to know your body in form Yeah. Where are you tight? Where are you strong? Where are you weak? So meditation could be practiced in so many different elements, but not to confuse it with just sitting down, closing your eyes, and trying to stop thought, right? It really is so much more about getting to know what makes you feel alive, getting to know what doesn't make you feel alive, or who doesn't Mm -hmm. make you feel alive. Mm -hmm. This is the essence of, of becoming aware or mindful.
1: Boy, meditation. It takes on so many different forms. There's so many different teachers. There's so many different ways to look at it. When I was younger, I used to resist meditation because I thought it was all a mental process where, you know, you just, you know, look at your thoughts or your thoughts look at you and You know, I I wasn't the most disciplined student in in Western education, and, you know, I wasn't really turned on by it. I was more into the feeling, the kinesthetic energy, you know, the the highs, you know, get the body going. But what I began to notice in meditation was initially for me for the first few years, it was all in the body. (laughs) It was being described to me in my head, but all the action was down here. And it was like, wow, like – you miss that by like six feet (laughs) you know and it was like oh my gosh this can really be if i want it to be about the sensations of just being still and being in my body and whatever arises out of my body i should probably pay attention to it because that's what you do in your normal waking state you move your body and you judge your level of skill yeah
2: Yeah, you're you're absolutely spot on and and this is where I said I, mindfulness is really misunderstood because, right. and I, I'm not faulting teachers for it. Um, I just think that we have, we have made mindfulness to become this mental strategy. And mm-hmm. so um, my work right now is really focused on mental fitness. And I use that right. phrase because I think that people can understand it. We have now gotten to the point where most people recognize that physical fitness doesn't come by just um, running every day. That you need right. to cross train. There are different mm-hmm. elements involved in becoming physically fit. Mental fitness is the same. It is mm-hmm. there's a cross training element. There's there's breath work and sleep hygiene and maybe some cold exposure and physical exercise and and mind training and gut brain optimization and so there's all this different work that we can do social connection to help us become mentally fit it's not just in your head in fact I say that all the time mental fitness is not just in your head so my my work and my passion is in helping people understand that you know so that they don't think that mental fitness is just another psychological strategy. It's just changing your mindset. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. So much of it is below the neck. That's right. what creates our, our mental clarity and acuity and flexibility. And, and you know one, one other thing is, I haven't done this in about a year, but I have Googled before. Maybe some of your listeners will Google it and let me know if there's anything more out there where do thoughts come from how do thoughts arise Mm -hmm. and the truth is we we just we don't know
1: they don't know
2: we don't know it what we do know is it's some kind of neural synapse right something happens neurologically to, to to it's like a burst right something but that's it we don't know anything else but we do know that it comes from the nervous system right so Why would we spend all of our time up here spinning our wheels when whatever is producing this stuff is coming from below the neck, so
1: to speak? Yeah, that's so cool. You know, I love asking questions that there isn't an answer for right now. (laughs) And I'm okay that we don't have an answer. I think our goal as a human being to be a good parent or leader or son or daughter you know, it's just to make sure what you're leaving behind you is an easier path than, the, than you took. Yeah, and, you know, asking these bigger questions, who am I? What is my purpose? Uh, are thoughts being created for me or am I creating thoughts? Do I have free will or is the free will created for me? And it's just my perception that I'm choosing my moment. Or is the moment chosen for me? Is this thing all written for me, or do I have little plays where I can interact and change the trajectory and adjust the grid of, you know, where I've been and where I am and where I want to go? I, I love asking questions that that don't require an immediate answer, and then I don't judge myself as being not smart or intelligent. I'm just. I think the universe just wants us all to ask some really deep questions and not require an immediate regurgitant of the answer. I love it. Yes, I absolutely adore questions, inquiry. Inquiry. Yeah. How are you going to learn anything new if you don't ask the different different questions?
2: That's right. And the thing is, Ed, is that so often, in fact, one of my other meditation teachers, Adi Ashanti, I remember him saying, ask the question, but don't answer it, right? because the, the question he said elicits the response. In other words, there's something that is going to emerge from that question right. that you asked, whether it be a thought or a sensation or something that happens right. at four o'clock in the afternoon that answers the question you asked in the morning. So I, I'm with you, just ask it and allow.
1: You know, if we're in a bad mental space, you know, or we're having, you know, a bad run of it for a day or a couple of days, it's not the questions, it's the answers that we've been giving ourselves that have led us to this transitional trigger. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, it's just like everybody has to understand that everything is happening for our benefit when we can get out of our own way. And how can we get, like you as a master teacher, how do, how do we get to these peak experiences where I would just describe it as no words can describe what you're experiencing. How, how do we get into this on a more regular basis? Because I know hope isn't a proven strategy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done I've done some deep dives in, in flow flow states and yeah. I've worked with some really great um, researchers and teachers on flow mm-hmm. states, Stephen Cutler and Jamie Wheel, and um, it comes back to becoming familiar with it what does it feel like again aliveness Mm -hmm. when we're in flow there is an aliveness we may not be consciously aware of the aliveness at the time
3: Mm -hmm. but
2: there is a connection with ourselves our guitar our surfboard Mm -hmm. our our um whatever it is our paintbrush Our work, I mean, coders get in flow all the time. Mm
3: -hmm. So it's
2: becoming familiar with state experience. And this is really my work, right? Helping people recognize the state, the physical, mental, emotional state they're in just a little bit of intelligence there, just some words. So then what happens? And it comes back to what I said before, you may know that jumping out of airplanes gets you into immediate flow. It probably does for everybody, but it's not something I'm gonna do. No, thank you. It's just not something I need to, I've bungee jumped. I'm done, thank you very much,
3: <laughs> right? too, man.
2: But I have friends that that jump out of planes like every other week, you know, because they know it's their primary flow activity or one of their primary flow activities. So if I were to ask you, Ed, I think I know a couple of the answers. What are some of the primary activities that you do that make you feel most alive?
1: Well, it would have to be being outside, whether I'm skiing or rowing on the water or hiking out in nature, something outside expansive. Exactly.
2: Right. Exactly. Right. So those are some primary flow activities. So you want to, for your own mental fitness, make sure that those activities are scheduled into your life. Right. You know, one of the worst things that we've ever done is two-week vacations, right? Ah. So people, you know, think, okay, I've got two weeks to go and do all of my primary flow activities for the year, and then they spend the rest of the year miserable. You know, right. what if we recognize that yoga, deep embodiment in my body, um, meditation or, or, you know, reading, you know, could be prayer. It, it, you know, we all have different flavors. Of what makes us feel alive, grounded, connected, and to be very aware that those are your those are your lifelines. They really are your lifelines, and we have to give ourselves permission to schedule them into our lives. Some daily, mini ones, right? Mm -hmm. Some weekly, some monthly. You know, every quarter, once a year, some big, big ass flow activity. You
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking of flow, we, we traditionally talk about the solo flow experience. How do we, you know, as a businessman, you know, get into that flow and create the next gadget? How do we, as an athlete, how do we go out and have the best event we ever had? How do we create flow in groups where the individual psyche or body falls away and then we all tap in to this vibration, this frequency where, where we're all – coming together as in one, how, how do we do this with groups, Karen?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, 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 I can speak <laughs> from teaching physical disciplines,
3: right? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, I'm not expert in, in group flow at work. It's just mm-hmm. not, my, you know, it's, it hasn't been my, my expertise, but I will tell you that having taught 10,000 yoga classes, you know, there's mm-hmm. a time in the class if if you're moving and breathing in rhythm, right, simple mm-hmm. movement, simple breath, simple language, right tone of voice. Mm-hmm. And it's usually about 10 to 12, 15 minutes into the class where you feel it. Right. You feel the group flow. You feel the group rhythm. You feel right. people's breath are in sync. And you know, I mean, you get mm-hmm. people breathing together. The heart rates are, you know, coming into... Uh, resonance I mean, brave waves are coming into yeah. resonance and there we are
1: well we know that uh, it takes about six to eight minutes for the autonomic nervous system to shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic you know we hold this tension you know in our fascia all the time it's really you know when you feel that fall away and you just feel that lightness move through the soft tissue around the muscle like you'd feel it in shavasana or maybe you'd feel it uh, at some point in the class. And then if one person feels it, there's an invisible field that gives permission to the people around if they're open to maybe feel that. And there's no words or anything. It's like a language that's spoken that we can't pick up with our five senses, but there is something as the facilitator that you pick up and you go, this is why I love me and what I do in my life is I get to have this unbelievable human experience Ugh. with these great folks. And it has nothing to do with me. Yes. I'm just kind of like the gatekeeper. But it's amazing to watch it and feel it. Yes.
2: Yeah, I miss it. I miss it because I'm not actively teaching yoga right now. I, uh, I, miss, I miss that feeling. It was like a practice for me every time I taught.
1: Well, you know, for me, like as I got out of the, the studio business, there was like this wave of everybody wanted to go faster.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was like, dude, we, we always use the practice to counterbalance what's taking place in the external environment. And if everybody's going 90 miles an hour in their head, we need to go slower. The voice in the head who's going 90, who says we have to do the faster yoga, that might, that might work you know, once a week or something to get a little deeper detox, but we want to use it to counterbalance. And it was almost like this battle between like the people who wanted to go faster and the people who wanted to go slower. The feelers and the thinkers, I used to call them. <laughs> and it was just to watch the whole interplay of it, like, whatever. Just glad you're here. Hence some of my
2: stress as a yoga studio owner. Yes, I know that well.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's like, I'm aware of it. You know, we all want to go fast. But there really makes no, it makes no sense to me to go fast if you haven't mastered going slow. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: So what's next for you? Do you have another book coming out or, you know, are you reaching different, uh, are you working with different modalities? I mean, tell us what's going on.
2: Yeah. Thank you for asking uh like i said before my focus my primary focus is mental fitness it's helping people understand cross-training practices and protocols to feel and perform their best and so it includes movement breath training uh, nutrition mind training for sure social connection but also the gut brain connection and Mm so um I am working with a company called Amari Global that is really one of the prime movers in the space of gut-brain op- optimization. Mm-hmm. And I have lo- what I have learned about the connection between our gut and our brain, first of all, just so everybody knows, if you haven't heard her, you know, what is she talking about? The science is fairly new. I mean, the yogis knew this a long time ago and and Chinese medicine, you know, those folks knew it a long time ago. But the research is now um, coming on fast and strong that our gut health directly impacts our mental health. And then there's this signaling channel between the gut and the brain, which is our nervous system, the enteric nervous Mm -hmm. system and our immune system. So when we can get the gut microbiome which is this environment of trillions of bacteria fungi Mm -hmm. viruses working properly and then the signaling between the gut and the brain clear
0: clearer Mm -hmm.
2: not not foggy or staticky but because of an inflamed body but clear it it completely changes how we feel Mm. mentally. And so this has been my focus, you know, what is mind blowing, and and you may or may not know this, Ed, or others of you out there, is that 90% of our serotonin is produced in our gut. The bacteria in the gut are actually producing the the serotonin and signaling up to the brain that we feel good or connected. You know, there's 70% of our dopamine, our GABA, our norepinephrine, all of these transmitters, neurotransmitters that we need for focus for motivation
3: mm-hmm. to
2: relax are in our gut so if the gut is in what's called dysbiosis or imbalanced mm-hmm. most of us have imbalanced gut because of stress and environmental mm-hmm. toxins and maybe medication or poor food then there's going to be a mental component that is that is compromised So my journey has gone from physical, from the physical muscle to Mm -hmm. uh, the mind through meditation down into the nervous system and now down a level even deeper. And it is Mm -hmm. so mind-blowing and exciting. We are all going to be talking about this in five to 10 years. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be really fun. And I'm really hopeful that as people start to learn more about how to modulate their microbiome because uh, I know it's been a, life-changing for me, my own life. It's going to help all these other cross-training modalities for mental fitness fall into place for them.
1: Amazing. You know, I, I love the, the fact that we're on the preposite of it really matters how you feel, yes. how you feel about things. And we're starting to understand that we are much deeper feelers than thinkers and all this feeling is coming up into the brain, into the central nervous system. And I just read a study the other day about the central nervous system being the brain and the spine, it's all encased in bone. And then you have this amazing vagal system, which is not encased in bone. And it's actually out here in the environment, reading the environment, without any bone structure to protect it there's, there's there's not a lot of fat on it and it can be mm. affected so, either positively or negatively by what what's going on in the world a lot more than the central nervous system
2: well that's why you know they they call the the gut the second brain and in many ways a lot of researchers are saying wait a second this is kind of the first brain here
1: right <laughs> right right <sighs> So is there any wisdom you could share with us before we part ways on this beautiful fall day and we mm-hmm. send you back out in the main and whatever you're doing out in the woods there, it's got to be fun.
2: I'm on an island, actually. That's even island. better. <laughs> it's a small island off of Portland. It's, it's really wild just for short term.
1: Outstanding. Um,
2: my goodness any any uh, wisdom is 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 become familiar with your with yourself and what makes you come alive uh, and, and there's a great Howard Thurman quote I can't say it all but it's something about um, know what makes you come alive because the world needs more people who have come alive and so I botched it up but it's kind of in that jest
1: beautiful it's well said everybody gets it we're free thinkers here for the most part you know when I first met you there was a magnetism to you the way you held space the way that you were such a great listener you could communicate clearly what your intention was and I found you very very authentic and it was a great just gift to uh, to have met you and share an hour of your wisdom i learned so much i can't thank you enough cara for spending some time with me today and i really look forward to seeing what's next in your career because i know it's going to be earth-shattering
2: well thank you and i've watched you blossom as well and so respect the work that you do so thank you for having me
0: you're the best and as always go be great thank you